we're going, we're going. Hey, you're not, no, sure. no. You're not making any money. Yeah, you got to be louder again. Form of resistance. I'm not gonna shoot. All right, you were good, and then you stopped being good. He he turned his mouth away from the the target. I don't care. Just record it. All right, we are recording. It caught all of yeah. that. Um, hello, welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab. Sorry you had to go through that. I'm that was Chris. The best introduction we've ever had. <laughs> I'm Chris. We have. I'm, oh. I'm I am Donut Boy. No, 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 no. I'm your friend uh, Coulter, and <laughs> I am Shomo. Wait, is that how you actually pronounce your name? That's how I actually pronounce my name. It's so would you be upset if I've heard someone pronounce your name Shamu? Shamu? I wouldn't, yeah. be, I wouldn't be upset that much, but I would also humbly request to consider the correct pronunciation. But what, what if you hadn't last, told them? What about your last name? It's Dasgupta. You know, when I searched uh, Shamu Dasgupta, you were the first result in Google. Of course, I'm the only one in the whole <laughs> world. Wait, so would you say you are authentic? That's oh, the real yeah. thing. Uh, I think... Well, we will see that. Certainly the most relevant to me mm-hmm. in my Google results. I think the only relevant thing right now is the news that I have to share. Okay. All right, do it. So I currently have donuts in my pants. Essentially, you know, that's not the case you told us earlier because Christian told us that he was wearing donuts. Now he's changing the version of it. He's saying that there are donuts in his pants. I got I to gotta tell you, this is not a no podcast this is a yes and podcast so you don't say you don't say i don't believe you You say where are they the donuts show me so i'm insecure about my very thin legs Hmm. so i put donuts around my legs instead of like filling my pants out with tissue paper right i was gonna ask i I don't think donuts are very cost effective right do you have some sort of deal on them if you go to carmelo's they're pretty they're pretty yeah so this is a shout out to our sponsor but not really uh, Carmela's on Springfield in Champaign. Well, they, the they that, kind of are our sponsor. They just don't pay us. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But that's a cash-only kind of place. Do you have to walk in there with a giant wad of ones? No, you really only have to have two ones to walk out with two donuts. Yeah. Oh, so you have one donut per leg. I thought this was like uh, as many donuts as you could No, have. I get at least a baker's dozen per leg. Well, that's that, that's like 20, <laughs> $20. I think that's 13 donuts. But $20. 26 I mean, you've done the math. I don't doubt you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy lifestyle. Showering's difficult. Mm. So mm. what kind of donuts? Like, what's, the, what's your flavor? What's donuts? my flavor? Well, it's whatever the lady's feeling. Okay. Because, mm. I mean, somebody has to take the donuts off at some point during the day. Right. Um, and how long do donuts last in the, in the leg zone? Um, well, I said that, you know, it's difficult for showering. So you can get upwards of a week. A week Upwards. with a week with a do you like so does it does it become harder to walk as they stale out? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? I'm really interested in the liminal space between donuts are working and donuts are not working. But have right you ever now. thought about the the holes in the donuts and how those holes feel when you fill them up with your one inch thick legs? <laughs> yes, I feel I've do thought about that because I'm fantastic about the donut holes in the donuts in the first one. Wait, are we... they were born to be holes, but now you're filling them up. I mean, you're destroying their. You're destroying their being. So we're talking. So what you're saying is, is there's a certain history and idea of what the donut should be, and I've taken that donut out of that context and and sort of 
put it into a different context. You are changing its meaning. You are kind of ruining its being, I guess. What do you What do you think about not much of the donors, but more of the donut holes that I'm concerned. But in terms of its relationship to its 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 preferred meaning versus what it ultimately comes to, uh, is there any autonomy that the donut has in terms of defining that meaning? Well, we have to come to a consensus of what it means to be a donut. Is it the whole part, or is it the parts that are attached to the whole but not the whole? Is that and then when you say something's a donut hole, that doesn't make any sense to me because it's clearly a sphere. It's <laughs> like the opposite of the sphere. It's the absence. It's a sphere-shaped absence of. No, the stuff. the absence in the donut gets defined as the donut hole, because that's according to me, kind of serves as one of the most important <laughs> character of a donut as being an authentic donut. Oh right, yeah. Wait, so authenticity. That's at the center. I mean, that's it's at the at center, the center of, of today's discussion, right? Which is a void in the case of donut, though. And <laughs> Christian is filling it up with his legs. I think that this <laughs> this example of a donut is actually a perfect sort of metaphor for the larger discussion around authenticity, because it's it's kind of a contradictory idea in itself, self-defeating right. one. Um, right. That's and, interesting. I mean, well, you're I, the one who wrote about it, and this is where I'm segueing into your uh, paper or your. Okay. Your thought on authenticity. Well, my paper was about authenticity, and I kind of wrote how authenticity is a fake encounter, much like the encounter of the donut and Christian. Yes. Legs. <laughs> and now I'm just using Christian's legs as like the thing that makes the encounter with the donut a fake one, yet it kind of claims to be a donut. Hmm. So. Authenticity of fake encounter. This essay I wrote for a class. And oh wait, that's actually what it. Wait, 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 let's let's slow down here real quick, Chris. Okay, so do we want to introduce our home plate? Um, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Coulter, why don't you introduce our home plate? Since... All right. So um, the word that the the secret word for today is heritage, um, but I think authenticity kind of directly follows into into notions of heritage. Um, both me and Shomu, Shomo, 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 Shomo. Uh, both, both Shomo and I, um, we have research uh, interests in this area of heritage, but from different perspectives. Um, my research is more uh, technologically inclined, and his is very informal. Maybe it's not heritage that you research. Well. <laughs> no, I so, well, how about we put a cut point somewhere behind us, or actually in front of me, uh, where I'm at right now, the cut points in the future, but for the listener, it will be in the past. Um, <laughs> what? what? Yeah, so, <laughs> let me reintroduce our, our home plate. No, let's just, <laughs> it's good content. Oh, We're all so about I shooting think, content I think Christian at the is microphone. only concerned about content, and he doesn't really care about anything else so, good content. so here, truly a child of our time here's where where i stand on our home plate which is heritage uh it's always been a word that's been troublesome to me i'm very dubious of claims of heritage i kind of want to destroy or reinvent notions of heritage so i think about what is the future of heritage and how can things that seem trivial or lowbrow in the present become a part of our heritage i'm very interested in that kind of goal. So like donut pants. Donut pants. Uh, things like internet memes, uh, the history of the internet, uh, these, this sort of shared informal experience of the world, like how is that 
um, archived and, and how can we relate to that in the future? Like that's a question I think um, I want to explore. Yeah. Um, so my interest in heritage is really about uh, maybe deconstructing and challenging traditional notions of heritage um, and of authentic experiences or authentic encounters with heritage because as an American, especially a contemporary American, like everything that I touch and see in my cultural sphere is has this sort of quality of inauthenticity. Well, um, to interject real yeah, quick, my favorite version of that right now is just remaking all the animated movies into live action. That is interesting. Uh, like Aladdin? <laughs> As heritage. Yeah. Blue Will Smith, right? Uh, now, here's what, what's even more uh, interesting is that all, all of us are architects, or is Grace and architects? Yeah, yeah. So um, I come from a perspective where heritage has uh, like a lot of more uh, mileage and like weightage into actually constructing ideas of culture and constructing ideas of space and place and attaching meanings onto architectural objects, say, or any other objects for that matter. And usually uh, there are like two broader <laughs> notions to heritage that perpetuate nowadays in the pedagogy and overall discourses. What's a pedagogy? Oh, that's something we can keep for. Oh, I didn't prepare notes for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like only said heritage and like, oh, what is pedagogy now? All that's right. that's our next home base. Oh, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, I don't even know what that word means, so maybe not. So, yeah. so basically, basically, you'll hear this in and around saying that there are tangible heritage like donuts and intangible heritage like, like the whole. Like the whole, right? So, <laughs> so, so I, I really see that as like a very flat and almost, in my own personal opinion here, a kind of a meaningless division of the idea heritage because heritage is neither like tangible or intangible it's more of experiential mm -hmm. and like you said that you want to reinvent and destroy i mean there are two different projects in your i want opinion. to revolutionize revolutionize heritage. yeah that's i that's want to like disrupt heritage <laughs> all right so I'm gonna disrupt you guys it. have to make your mind you want to disrupt you want to destroy <laughs> i want all the words <laughs> all the, all the i want to take every verb in the dictionary and mm -hmm. operationalize them against a noun that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's very ambitious. I'm like really inspired right now. Uh, how would you do that to the donut? <laughs> well, what's the first what's the first verb in the dictionary? Um, advocate. I'm gonna advocate a donut. That's how I'm gonna start. Actually, okay. So let's let's actually circle back because we've done a decent to mildly okay. Um, description of heritage as a concept yeah um, but i'd like to jump back into this paper because it said some very interesting things that tie back into this idea of well deconstructing right heritage. so what i was looking at like if i want to tie this this work with the idea of heritage is basically by the link word would be authenticity and whether we have certain notions of authenticity those are very culturally politically produced uh, to guide us towards identifying what is heritage and what is not heritage and create those divisions. Um, so authenticity in that sense becomes kind of this word that defines for you what is heritage and what is not. Um, and it also has a lot of uh, economic uh, purchase to it. So you would want to have the authentic experience of certain things like say for example you want to have a 
authentic meal of a certain cuisine, let's say authentic Chinese food or authentic Chicago hot dog. I mean, there is nothing so much. I have had quite many different versions of Chicago hot dogs. I've never really realized what's so Chicago about it. I mean, it's just a hot dog. Uh, so it's <laughs> to the World's Fair. Yeah, attached to the World's Fair, but that's what history tells you. It's a so story. that when because I come from a different place, a different geography, and it's so very different <laughs> in that sense. Is that when I come into Chicago and I listen about the Chicago pizza and the Chicago hot dog, I don't see how the place gets embedded into right. the food I consume. I wonder. I wonder how Chicago hot dog changes if you live in Chicago versus you grow up in the suburbs. Like to me, authentic Chicago hot dog is Portillo's. But if you grew up in certain neighborhoods in Chicago, is that different? Yeah, there's there's definitely a a, a higher degree of authenticity. So so yeah. they use they use the right sourcing for the for the pickle and the peppers. Well, that's I think that's one quarter of what I understand is the thesis of of the paper is that yeah. uh, authenticity is a component of identity or it's instrumentalized yeah. identity. Right. That's actually, that's something I want to talk about right now because hmm. at me, Chris, and Christian are from the Chicago suburbs. And you're and from Wyoming, right? <laughs> no, I am from the other side of the world. Huh. But I actually live in Urbana right now. So, I mean, do you want me to tell... Where, when when I am from the authentic city of Calcutta in the authentic nation of India. Nice. Well, we have the same issue here in Chicago because yeah. if, I were, if you were to ask me when we first met where I'm from, I'd mm-hmm. say I'm from Chicago or from the suburbs of Chicago. But... Mm-hmm. There's really a, a hard distinction that people who are actually from Chicago, like right. in the kind of high density city, they, they say like, oh, the, the suburb people, they're not from Chicago. They're from, mm-hmm. I don't know, the metropolitan region or they're not from they're anywhere from the, actually. They're from the suburb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if I ever talk to someone who's lived for any length of time in the city of Chicago, I would never tell them I'm from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You look like an idiot. They're the more authentic Chicagoans, like yeah. we're the leeches. There's that a perceived the authenticity there. Yeah, and I think the hot dog, where it's like Portillo's versus some like hot Vinnie's. dog cart. Yeah, Vinny's, which yeah. I could get also in the suburbs. But um, that oh, wait, idea that's an that like thing, isn't it? there's that the Chicagoan is an identity that you aspire to claim as your own, mm-hmm. and part of that is gatekeeping and pushing people out. The suburbs are inauthentic. They're not actually part of Chicago. Yeah. They don't have the bean. The bean is actually at the center. You have to, you know, you turn 13 and then they yeah. you bean go inside the bean. It's <laughs> <laughs> a donut, but it's not. Anyway. Yeah. And I guess, no, but but that, that kind of gatekeeping, I guess, is like very common in many old cities and the identity of being that person of that city. Like I can totally relate to it with Calcutta where you have a division of census, not literally like a division in in the fabric, but you do have that, but it also like the North Calcutta and the South Calcutta and like how South Calcutta is like a later, less authentic experience than North Calcutta. And you have those kind of tensions or oppositions in claiming to that, like you said, the Chicagoan or the New Yorker becomes that central authentic experience and everything else kind of falls in the periphery of that and trying to be that i guess and then like the, the component that defeats the identity aspect mm-hmm. of authenticity is you have this like this fallacy this famous fallacy of no true scotsman where in, in a fallacy you'd say like oh this person is a criminal they're not a true scotsman or this person doesn't have 
red hair, they're not a true Scotsman. So like you, you are only able to articulate what a Scot- Scotsman is not, but you never actually arrive to the real authentic article, right? It's only relativistic, and it's only in the differences between what's inside and outside, and mm-hmm. that distinction and that boundary that the authentic identity is constructed. Yeah. But you're never inside it. You know, what, what really resonates and something that I've used in my essay is the idea of the boundary. And I think that kind of resonates with me, uh, kind of resonates with the idea of the aura around the authentic object. And if you remember in the class we took last semester, we talked about this guy called Walter Benjamin. Oh, I don't know. Is that the pronunciation of Walter Benjamin? Is it, uh, Walter? it might be Benjamin. Benjamin. Ben, 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 Benham, yeah, that one. Is it Walter or Walter? Walter Benjamin. Walter Benjamin. It's okay. Walter. 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 Guy was famous, and this guy was very important because he wrote uh, a piece called, which I guess many people in architecture and art history refer to across the world, which is um, the work of art. The work of art in the age of mechanical, mechanical reproduction. Yeah. I guess we can read it today in digital reproduction. I don't know, but okay. I mean, oh boy. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But the point is that he he introduced the notion of the aura around the authentic object, which gets supposedly lost in its copy. So there mm-hmm. is an aura around the original Mona Lisa, which is not there in the copy. I mean, that's probably very a crude yeah, reading of his cool. text, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what I remember. From it's the musky class. smell of a bunch of tourists being smashed together in a room. That's the aura. He also, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe this is a weird tangent, but in, I guess um, Zizek, who reads like Hegel, and then yeah. um, Baudrillard, who's a postmodernist I love, they talk about the surplus, uh, which is um, this new aura that's constructed around mechanically reproduced media and objects. And the surplus is like the idea that the marketing constructs, which is like this thing you never actually get from the product, but is implanted in it. Uh, An example of that would be the spoiler on your sedan. Like the spoiler is not actually doing anything for the car besides (laughs) making it look like a sports car. It's not keeping the back end down. It's not making it faster, but it, connotes and it communicates mm-hmm. the surplus value or aesthetic of fastness. And so it's yeah. interesting that aura got destructed, but, well, we still have aura, but I guess the so after what, aura comes surplus. So I guess a, a question I would have is, is something that kind of, that I wanted to introduce in terms of architecture and preservation, and we'll call this, the, I, I, this is my speculation for, for this, for this podcast. And, and we can, we can certainly move from this relatively quickly. But connected directly to this idea, I think, is um, I've always had this thought, and I think you may have mentioned it before, is like a connection to Brave Little Toaster um, when we talk about architectural preservation. Um, and my, my question is, um, in the future, how do, we, how do we start to treat building elements? And, and there's a capacity that building elements uh, might maintain their own capacity, might maintain their own autonomy. Um, so imagine like a piece of crown molding that understands the pain that it felt as it was nailed into a wall and is almost resistant to that context, but also is, is formed of the pain that it felt from being extruded or, or morphed into, into that piece in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so like it's, it's desired form is not to be a piece of crown molding, but rather to exist. It wants to be like a lump of yeah. plastic beads. Well, I don't know, but it, <laughs> it, or it, let's say it's wood, right? But it wants to sort of exist as this piece of lumber Right. Um, and once it's removed, once once it's no longer a piece of crown molding and it doesn't exist in that context, which which it was 
kind of forced into. Right. Um, what what uh, what sort of attitude and, and persona might might it have? Is is it going to be like this Eeyore sort of character where it's saying, "Oh, woe is me! This is what I had to go through. I'm sharing my story about history, and it doesn't care that, about the context I was in. It doesn't care about the situations that happened around it uh, historically. Like it was in a room. It could have been in the White House, right? And it saw hundreds of thousands of things and top secret things, but it doesn't care. It only cares about the pain and sort of the formation uh, that it went through. Maybe it's like Toy Story and when no one's around, it comes to life, but its face is, and its eyes and mouth are on the side that faces the wall that it's attached to. So it just, it's screamed up against the well, wall. Well, I think, I think that version of personification is a little bit disturbing. Let's push through that. I find it, I, I really find it, problematic with the idea of preservation as a way of claiming onto or hanging on to a certain version of authenticity like right like, so that's that's what this is trying yeah. to respond yeah i mean i mean how do i mean how do you de define what a heritage piece of architecture is with respect to a certain timeline i mean you, if you look at like old uh, towns it's like we have a burning example in front of our like in recent past, right? You mean like actually burning? I mean Literally like burning. <laughs> burning. <laughs> and 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 what what is there to like argue for preserving the version of the Notre Dame prior to the burning as the authentic one and post burning? Like what's authenticity? What's authentic is it's yeah. burning. Right. I mean yeah, and how do you preserve the burning? I mean I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying that that's how you construct a comfortable past as heritage and the uncomfortable past that follows that past gets cut out by the project of preservation. Right, right. I love that I love that notion or and and sort of like the idea of a screaming piece of molding or mm -hmm. like yeah. no, Notre Dame, like you have to understand the pain that right. um, and like understand the pain and the hours of labor that went into lumber that was destroyed. Uh, instead of replacing it with something that is maybe equally intensive in terms of the energy that went into it. This kind of, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 Kristen, go. Right. I, I was just gonna say, I, this whole notion of, of pain and remembering and kind of like personifying sort of the history that it came from and the context that it came from just strikes me as, as sort of the Disney or children's book version of what Corbu and the other like early modernists were trying to do in destroying ornamentation. It's just like, uh, instead of like an intellectual argument, it's more of like a children's story version of, oh, I don't want to be in this shape. I want to do what I want to do, right? What's that like Louis, Louis Kahn quote where he's like, the brick wants to be what the brick wants to be? I mean, I guess like Louis Kahn said something like, the brick wants to be an arch, and I don't know how he understood that. I spoke to a brick too. It didn't tell me the same thing. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's the... I think I think that's I, sort of the joke of the proposal is that architects see a material and think that it wants to be something. That's like I really, right. literally, when I read that line, I went to a shop and I hold a piece of brick and asked the brick that, "What do you want to be?" And the brick said, "Just leave me alone." <laughs> My brick said to throw into like a storefront. Okay. I said that's a bad brick. You put that back in the kiln. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I think. But I guess when it spoke the Louis Kahn, it really yeah. that. He, he's truly a master, I suppose. I mean, true, truly, truly a master. A very authentic um, master. I think that, you know, what, what Christian says to me, or what his little speculation says to me, is this idea that 
your encounter with the past should always feel surreal and it should call into question these sort of placid notions of the past as this sort of fixed and comfortable place where everything made sense. Um, and that reminds me of a lecture I saw. It was one of the guys that oversaw the new Tate Modern extension. I mm -hmm. uh, was talking about the was 21st century. He was actually from the Tate. So I think okay. Herzog did the extension, but he was the representative from the Tate. Uh, he said that, and the new section is actually all about highlighting outsider art and local art, not the kind of high art um, that uh, these high-class museums are known for. Um, but he was talking about how in the 21st century, um, the encounter, an encounter with heritage should feel surreal. And it's not about transparency, and it's not about building up a proper, quote-unquote, context for history. It's or, about yeah, or breaking, well, breaking well, anything you can. I'm glad you brought that, because that again, I mean, in, so we were talking about my essay, and just going to, you know, talk about my essay here. No, but, I mean, it's, it's good. Like, I'm, we yeah. should be able to transition um, these things. I, I argued in this particular essay that authenticity is essentially a fake encounter. And, and the way I try to understand authenticity is like really trying to find an authentic piece of object in the city and then finding that it cannot be found and thus concluding that that was a fake journey altogether. And I think that kind of counters uh, the popular notions of identifying something as authentic in the first place. What if you were inundated instead with authentic objects, quote unquote, authentic, authentic objects? Well, no, I don't like those quotes. Like, I mean, you should, like, <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, that's, that's like saying that, well, it does exist, but it doesn't. Um, but in other context, I guess, I don't know. Have you ever been to, um, so I've always enjoyed your your perspective on McDonald's and Walmart. Mm -hmm. But have you ever been to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee? No, I've never been to Tennessee. It's like Wisconsin Dells, but if they tried to craft this odd version of like hillbilly culture into into this uh, Walt Disney World esque place, and 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 it's one strip. And it's maybe 60 feet deep on either side as you drive through this area. And then behind the 60 feet deep of authenticity is, uh, is parking lots. Nice. Um, <laughs> so I always, I always thought that one was kind well, of Well, what's, what's more authentic to America than parking lots? No, I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's, it's actually like deeply rooted as one of these pockets of... American Americanness, like to the extreme, like Americana. Vegas, Walt Disney World, uh, Wisconsin Dells, all those things, yeah. Pigeon Forge, they're all well, kind of very well, similar. Well, definitely, we cannot have a universal understanding of authenticity, and like many other concepts, which are subjective to our positions, are subject to what cultural context we're looking at. But I guess it changes its character when you put it out in a pan world context and say that something is authentic or the other. That's where the problem lies. And I guess in, and I'm not sure about this, in India or in Europe, we are conditioned to think about old as authentic. Mm -hmm. And definitely a piece of American technology is not authentic in Indian context. It's, it's being purchased in the, like, we wouldn't say McDonald's is authentic mm -hmm. experience in any sense. It's American and it's uh, it's foreign. 
So I guess it, it really uh, um, encourages us to look at the politics of how authenticity gets manufactured as a concept because somehow I see that like Disney wouldn't be seen as authentic in, I mean, it can be seen as authentic in America because I think that's what Disney is. But since it appropriates cultural objects from many different places, for those, from those cultural perspectives, it would be a really faking those perspectives or those cultures into an authentic experience in America, but not in Dick from that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I don't that know. Does. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes good. a lot of sense. In Epcot, they, they, I think they took the like... Epcot is amazing. Well, yeah, it's great. But yeah. also, um, they had this, uh, I don't know, Scandinavian ride where like, yeah. it was like a yeah. folktale and they replaced it with Frozen. Like they replaced it with their Scandinavian themed animated film. Um, Which I think is the best way to do that. Yeah, and, and I heard like a really interesting, uh, or it was a post online, I think, they were talking about how you, everyone loves Epcot until they go to the country that represents where they're from. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, you're from France, you're like, oh man, it's like, or apparently the idea behind Epcot was you have American families or from the middle and you probably can't afford a pan-European tour. How can America offer the experience of a pan-European tour for a fraction of the cost? Thus, right. the Epcot International Center. Um, but yeah, I mean, they play really fast and loose with the mm -hmm. like icons and experiences of place. And that's fine until you like know different. Right. You know? But Disney knows its audience. It's true. Yeah. I mean, and they know that they can get away with it. And then you have like the fake it's paper thin. And then you have the fake Main Street America, and Americans love it because like <laughs> we're fake all the way down. Like you can't. You, there's no. I mean, there is an authenticity in being fake in that sense. Like you can make a ever regressive argument about what is authentic and what yeah. is fake, and they yeah. can get like. Um, but then there are there are questions of how it impacts people's perception about their identity because that's like where we kind of left that in the beginning about how Chicago and is a Chicago hot dog. Because when authenticity as a concept gets atten attached to identity, it really becomes a question of either celebrating one's identity or being like pushed out of that right to celebrate that identity because being termed as inauthentic. This is just a, a theory that I have, but I think in America, um, people feel more, the, the, the more, the more inconsequential the like cultural artifact is, the more justified people feel in being mm -hmm. like super gatekeepy. Right. Like, like the, like, I think Americans like have a very strange, um, construct of authenticity and well, identity where it's like only f like if you say you like subway and i like quiznos like i'm allowed to like scream at you and make terrible jokes because it's such an inconsequential distinction mm -hmm. and that's almost where i think americans exercise the well, kind of yeah so to discriminate so look at uh, all the um all the articles that you can find online about new york style versus chicago style pizza mm -hmm. and, yeah <clears throat> sorry i have to cough but I, I think i think that really ties into what you're saying exactly is Something that doesn't matter in any way. Yeah. It's it's what we fight over. Yeah. Well, that's well. You have kind of been very close to. I had four versions of authenticity that I 
and then I've written like these are the four versions that I I was able to capture in text, okay. and there might be other versions which I have not been able to capture. So, uh, you're so you're covering you, your bases, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always have to do that. So one of them was like what you just said is very close to where I kind of concluded that authenticity is basically schizophrenia, or is it schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. <laughs> So, I, I like I like schizophrenia. Schizophrenia? Yeah. I mean, okay. So anyway, so there were like four versions that I, I think Coulter had a few comments on that earlier. And so one was the fetish of authentic. I think we covered that. Because, no, yeah, no, no. It's like architectural preservation. Yeah. It's and like, it's like you, we have to facade. And this yeah, is so important. And you fetishize that oldness. Yeah. And like, oh, this is this original piece of stone from that original piece of this came from a real America. Yeah. Now. yeah. So that there was the fetish of authentic, and then there was the authentic identity, which was the second uh, version of uh, that. That's which is it's, it's like we, we can say it's like the what is Chicago about Chicago? Right. About it's like the or New York about New York. It's an impulse inside people. Yeah. Want to be in an in group, and you can only be in an in group by yeah. finding an out. And I don't, I don't think that the authentic identity is as a as a whole is like a historical argument in as much as it is also very much politically produced and economically produced at that that moment of experience. The third was the myth of authenticity, which where I wrote something like, authenticity is an urban obsession resulting into a narrative satisfying its demand in the age of reproduction. And Let's I'm unpack not really that one. Sure. Yeah, what, is, what the heck does that mean? Okay, so, it's, so I use a story where I'm trying to find this original jewelry shop in Calcutta. Uh, where and I find that there are so many different versions of that jewelry shop, and they all claim to be authentic in their own sense. So I I found that authenticity is a myth that perpetuates <coughs> in the age of reproduction, and everyone claims that oh, this is the original hot dog that you can have. This is the right? best hot dog in yeah. Chicago. Well, we have the best hot dog, number and one. Maybe hot dog. Or the authentic Chinese food, or authentic Indian restaurant, and every Indian restaurant is authentic Indian restaurant, and. And they all serve different version of Indian cuisine, and uh, and they all claim to be authentic. So it's it's uh, if if that is the case, I thought it would. So uh, so there's a myth idea, and the schizophrenia is where, like you just said in the earlier example, is that no one really cares about it. Business goes on as usual, but there is this schizo of authenticity that kind of haunts us. Yes, you like horror stories. No, no, I, I like horror because culture's been indoctrinating me with that. <laughs> Oops. Um, um, but, it, but it's also bad. One like, thing I'm horror reading, shows the bad. One thing I'm reading into here, and the difference between the authentic as a form of personal identity and um, authenticity as a myth about something like a city, it almost reads to me like these are both talking about identity, and one is about the identity of an individual mm -hmm. in a city, and the other one's about uh, this kind of external identity about the place that no one actually encounters. But there's an idea that Chicago's the windy city and it's built on broad shoulders and, you know, it's right. how we, in our own heads, it's not something we're necessarily placing a claim on mm -hmm. for our own identity, but it's like, what actually makes this place a place is a myth of authenticity. Right, right, exactly. And that's why in, in as much as that myth perpetuates into making people believe in that myth, there's a success of it, right. but you look past it, and there, there you see that it's just a myth. That I go to New York to find the Big Apple, and I can't find it. Where is, <laughs> where is that Big Apple? <laughs> I think it's big. Oh yeah. I think that's. 
I, I really like that distinction though between like place-based authenticity and then like individual authenticity because like I think one thing that I was thinking about as I was looking over this topic that you brought up was like what do I think is like heritage or authentic to me and it's weird because being like half half white half Asian I don't I feel like the American or like the white side of me is so assimilated with like American culture that I don't even consider it heritage at this point. It's like if I look at heritage, it's like trying to figure out sort of the Asian side of me or like trying to relate back to that. And it's sort of like this this odd dichotomy of of like, I think it's exploring like what influences led up to me being me as a person. And I think you could bring that same thing up to like, Chicago culture like where does that fit into me as a person and then like understanding where I came from where my mindset came from versus and I think that's like you can kind of define that and I think that's like something that's really cool about exploring what's authentic or what's heritage to you as an individual because you can kind of define where these things came from a little better since it's at much more of a granular scale but then when you scale it up to like a place-based thing like everyone's different so how do you like you were saying how do you define chicago how do you define america i guess i guess like for example i since i am not from any place in u.s per se and the cities that i've experienced most are like chicago and new york so far um there is this kind of uh image of a city that gets portrayed in in like uh in in the when you come to America, you have this idea of New York and Chicago. And when you think of New York, you are mostly in your head, have an image of the uh, Manhattan as, as being one of the most prominent image that kind of portrays what New York is, I guess. And for Chicago, you have the bean you, where everyone clicks a selfie and it's like the downtown Chicago. Which is funny because it's so new relative to the city. But anyway, keep going. Right, right. And yeah, definitely. And and then it, it creates a periphery, which is quite blur. Like in case of New York, it would be places like Harlem or in case of Chicago, it would be say Southside, which doesn't get portrayed as a representative, at least to me coming in here as being part of Chicago, because the tourism industry really dominates what gets portrayed as mm-hmm. what a city is and what a place is, right? So I guess, and, and that creates the, nature of how authenticity performs in place uh, which in turn uh, I guess is somehow I can't figure it right now somehow it's connected to the idea of identity right because like everyone on the south side of Chicago even though unless you go to like U of C or IIT you're not really going to experience south side of Chicago but like everyone who's there is deeply shaped by the city of Chicago and they're very much of Chicago even if it's a completely different identity and then someone in like Lakeview or Lincoln Park. You also have like the atomization of identity, which is, I'll unpack that a little bit, but we mentioned like these different, I'll say boroughs of Chicago or New York, where, you know, we as outsiders can't even put a name to most of these locations, but people inside them feel like, I'm not just a Chicagoan, I'm from X, X, X Park, you know? Right. Um, and that's interesting. I heard a, a podcast, I guess, about uh, the 9-11 attacks in New York and how it 
ultimately collapsed. These sort of atomized micro-identities in New York, and New York kind of collapsed into more of a cohesive, singular identity mm -hmm. uh, after that trauma. Um, and I was just thinking about how could you track the growth, decay, and things like mergers of uh, sub-communities of a location, and how do like aspects or artifacts of these very micro-communities get blown up to be representative of the entire place? So like, you yeah. could say that the Chicago hot dog is from the World's Fair. I heard a story about how it was from these different um, ethnic communities in Chicago kind of contributing um, small condiment mm -hmm. additions to the hot dog until it became this kind of emblem of Chicago at large. But these uh, kind of artifacts that become representative of an entire place, they have origins, you know, at the atomic scale, right. you know, from individuals even. So it's interesting right. that you can actually trace but, and pull apart that. Yeah, identity. and that, that's so interesting because you can actually do, you can possibly trace those origins of where the Chicago hot dog came from into its right. being as it comes. <clears throat> so the dog itself came from the fair, not necessarily the condiments. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's proliferated through the fair. Right. So, so there is a particular version of history that if I want to know about, I can research and dig into that. But that doesn't get carried forward in the experience of the, con me consuming. Like somehow the, the consumption interface of the right. Chicago hot dog kind of masks that history. Right. And that's, that's where my comment about like the crown molding comes in because right. it, 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 it has, so like it, it sort of existed in one context at one time, but it has the capacity to understand uh, the mm -hmm. history that's gone into it. It's a product or byproduct of culture and not culture itself. Mm -hmm. Right. But because we live in a society based mostly on spectacle and yeah. consumption, then that kind of representation or byproduct becomes the main event for mm -hmm. us. Well, that's like, that's one thing I was kind of thinking about too is, um, so I was listening to this podcast the other day. It's, it's, do you know Dave Chang, the chef? He, he's the ugly, delicious guy on Netflix. Yep. Um, yeah, so he has a podcast. The other day he did one with Mina Kimes, who is like a senior writer with ESPN, and they basically talked about Dave's Korean. So they talked about like Koreanness, and then Mina is half Korean. So they talked about like kind of the identities of that. But they brought up, Mina Kimes brought up this thing about how being like half, she was always like, she felt like she was part of the in group, I think she said. And then like someone would make fun of Asian people, and then all of a sudden that would kind of like tip her identity and she'd like feel like all of a sudden part of being Asian um, but the, the point of that is like or the point of me bringing it up is like how much of our identities do we like really experience on like a daily basis until someone points them out and then you're like okay I can kind of like grasp onto that and like understand that that's a part of me but if you're just kind of flowing with life on a daily basis like do you really understand the sort of granular nature of what you're doing until it's pointed out as different um but like, I guess what I'm getting at is it would be kind of interesting to have some sort of tool or some sort of like database about yourself. And I, I guess for practical purposes, if this was actually going to be a thing, we'd have to have it like extremely private. But like, can it like keep track of what um, identities you sort of like speak into existence or like experience on a daily basis about yourself? Like if you say something in some way using some accent, you're from Chicago or if you're if you if you start using internet memes, you're an internet person or like a blog boy or whatever. But like, does it have some sort of like daily 
tracker that's like, oh, today you experience these sort of identities. And then all of a sudden you become much more aware of like what goes into who you are and you can start to like pull apart like what do you want to save? What's useful to you? I really like that I think as, as a concept. Yeah, I think that that speaks about our current, our current era with the internet where people talk about signaling their identity, you know, online. You have this yeah. sort of social media. And right, video. but what if it wasn't something that was so elastic? Right. You had to put your beads in a totem. Yeah, this is, I think, I think, I think like social media has been like so much embedded in our everyday millennial lifestyle, although catering to a certain socioeconomic strata of the world, I guess. Um, but at the same time, it, it, there, I have experienced a generation gap in, in our perception of social media. Like, for example, uh, someone from my father's generation don't see interaction, I mean, by and large, wouldn't see interaction on social media as authentic interaction. Mm-hmm. And they see it as somehow erasing the more authentic interaction in the physical social space. Whereas for us, I guess it's like, it's not a question that bothers us anymore because we are comfortable interacting in social media, mm-hmm. I guess. And, and the social aspects really exist in a different version of uh, friendship and a different meaning of what relationships. Yeah, we're able to compartmentalize yeah. uh, different types of relationships, I think. We yeah. all live multiple lives. Oh, my. Because we're allowed to now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that I, that yeah. I saw was... Are we in, getting too serious? Well, no, no, one thing that I thought was really interesting... Um, These are actually two... I took two notes, and I think they're yeah. actually quite connected. They're very authentic notes. Um, so, <laughs> so I think that this framing of um, two nouns, one becoming the other, is that's how you have thoughts. So um, the first thought was otherness as authenticity, and so this connects to Disney, um, where only in a position where you don't see the sort of baseline reality, the banalities of mm-hmm. a given culture, can you really consume it's authenticity, right? It's authenticity is this right. sort of byproduct, this compressed, condensed, and fetishized yeah. thing that can be given to you only from the outside. Right. Um, and this, I, I just want to put, I think it's also very, very close to Orientalism in a way, not not like uh, you have, you create that other in your imaginary, which is kind of based on a certain select version of the reality that only you can see and you choose to filter out the other and produce the authentic other right in that viewpoint which is yeah exactly what and it's like said, a yeah. mirrored self yeah right it's not right. actually the other thing right uh, and the second thing and this connects to what you're talking about um chris uh and the question is can you experience your own authenticity mm-hmm. um and this is like, is authenticity always outside of you? And that's why when we're looking for an identity, it's only perceived. Yeah, it needs to be something that's like outside of us that confirms and sees us. Right. Um, and I think as like a very, I, I consider my ethnicity mayonnaise, uh, like just the most generic, basic suburban American so millennial. So is it like a light mayonnaise or? Like, I know there are... He's a Miracle any, Whip. Any, a mir- yeah, Miracle Whip. Definitely Miracle Whip. Um, my family enjoys food products, you know, like <laughs> processed cheese in a can. <laughs> um, and so for me, like, that, maybe that's why I have this sort of 
authenticity or heritage like death drive where I'm trying to destroy it because that's the only way I can sort of have a leg up yeah exactly. <laughs> that's the only way I can have authenticity is by, like, by taking away others exactly that's why I'm the villain in the story and that's why I'm going to build horror. modernist architecture in my backyard and make a tourist trap but I think that's a really good point I, I because like even for me like that's why I don't really perceive I think I only really perceive my Asian heritage as like heritage because American, like how do you experience being an American, right? Or how do I experience like growing up here in the suburbs without having something to compare that against? Like it's just kind of life and you're, you're just I, doing it. Right. And I think, I think there's actually a lot of tensions in it that, um, you know, start coming out with in things like maybe a serious man, which is a Coen brothers movie or, um, there's, there's there's a series of movies that's been done about suburbia and the horrors that might exist in suburbia that I think are really funny, um, where it starts to get at that thing. Or maybe even the movie The Founder, mm-hmm. um, which is about McDonald's yeah. and, and, and how that all happened. But, but um, it's, it's crazy that America, its image in the world, America sees generally as an authentic place, right? Or like, uh, I mean, well, America is seen as a very promising yeah, let, let's talk about your America, the American identity, and America is maybe an exceptional place in, well, in terms of history. I, I I can tell you about my fascination as well as frustration. Like they kind of go when I used to think about America, and when I think about America, it's 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 because it's because they're they're it, when you grow up in a whatever being referred to as a developing economy or in some literatures, a third world country, some other literature, global south. Uh, I mean, it, in either sense, you are given this idea as a child that where you are is not really the best place where you can be, which is kind of a myth. And it takes a lot of time to actually rupture that bubble. But in that condition, you, you, you are portrayed this idea of America as some place where you can be if you work hard enough or if you, are, uh, if you have enough money to go there or if you have enough merit to go there. And this kind of, there is the lure of America that kind of fills into that fascination, which kind of gets manifested when I, you know, decided to do a PhD and come here after doing my master's. And I also got uh, some sort of a support that I, I can come here. Um, I was but, thinking, like, in terms of America having gridded streets, these sort of oh, okay. anomalous right. kind of urban qualities that, for us, we grew up on a grid. Yeah, so for us, it's invisible. That's, that's, that's something that I kind of find fascinating every day. Like, every other place is directed by the idea of either it's straight and then you take a left or it's straight and then you take a right. <laughs> two ways of giving directions in the entire country, other than some places like in Boston or, 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 in, or in New Orleans, I guess, where they have multiple grids, where there can be a little, but which is definitely not the case in a city like Calcutta. I mean, a place point A to point B is very difficult to navigate if you just use directions of straight left. And it's, it's because it's not an orthogonal grid. Um, or even Delhi, where I was there for a couple of years, and there also you have radial grids and and kind of organic fabrics in them, and or any other old cities, I guess in Europe it would be true as well. Um, 
for me, I guess that that this gives two different versions of city, but I'm I'm finding it hard to connect to fascination or authenticity in that sense. I mean, America gets portrayed in, at least personally for me as this place of uh, kind of a fantastic, fantastic place where you can be, but then there are the dark sides which get revealed to you later. <laughs> in some sense, right. like you're like, uh, oh, I really love McDonald's, but then you have. Uh, and then you know that it might cause you some sort of you, you've lost or, 10 heartbeats in your yeah life. Well, and, and something like that who is saying I, I don't remember maybe it was one of you guys who said this or someone else who said this but like someone told me that because I had commented when I was in Asia that McDonald's there was just so much better than it is here that like someone told me that when McDonald's went abroad, people were disappointed in the quality of the food because they're like, there's no way this is what Americans are eating every day. So, like, McDonald's had to get better food out there. I don't know if that's true, but, I, like, that just yeah, kind of reminded me of it. I that on a blog somewhere and repeated it. I guess I read the I think other that's one. hilarious. I read, I think, I, I think I read it that the worse. original... You have to go to yeah, I think it actually tastes worse in Europe. Really? really? In, in yeah. Taiwan, the McDonald's was way better. Way better. Chicken was yeah, great. Yeah, to like Europe, the presentation is like way different than in the states. Hong Kong McDonald's was better too. When McDonald's got introduced in uh, India, I guess there was this initial hype about it. So was there around KFC, <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, you have to go to this American brand and experience the American burger. Uh, which is really made of all ingredients from India, but by the way, the <laughs> recipe and the branding makes it American. Okay, so so maybe does this like yeah. get at what you were trying to get at, Coulter? I, I, my my reading of your question was like, does America have this sort of when you're abroad, this sort of like actual identity that you kind of have to try, and you know, it's like stereotyped into something that like is American versus like. When you live in America, you're always in this bland suburb, and it's just kind of this blah uh, amalgamation of everything that doesn't really... It's just strip malls, and you don't have any sort of authentic experience whatsoever. I, well, I think it's, it's a contradiction. It's like only people who are not in your cultural group can see it in a way or have an impression of it that becomes a sort of identity, right? The identity is also... It's not just something that you have. It's something that's projected onto you from the outside. And so that's one reason I'm always fascinated to leave America is when I come back, I see it differently. Well, I I was just thinking about when when Chris pointed out this bland suburb experience, it kind of rang a bell about this movie called The Truman Show, which is kind of quite popular. But in that movie, I saw that the, who was the actor again? Um, Jim Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, yeah. Really good. Who who looks like Coulter in this new Sonic movie? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dr. Yeah. Rick. But but there there Dr. Jim Carrey got, got frustrated of the suburb life from the inside, and he wanted to break out, but he didn't really have any idea of an outside first place. So that's that, I mean that's my drive, you know. I'm oh, Jim okay. Carrey. That that's why I want to destroy authenticity and heritage. You know, it's because I'm I'm Jim Carrey. And but you have you have you, you have been outside the. Yeah. Right. Well, to see that there is a bubble, which is different from saying that I'm frustrated of the bubble, although I have no idea that there's. I don't think you can truly be outside of the bubble till you're on Mars. <laughs> well, it's also but, it's also funny because as soon as you saw when I was getting on Skype earlier that I was from Naperville, you're like, oh, all of a sudden, like you kind of perceived that difference 
or like called out that slight difference between suburbs maybe not i don't know how slight but that's true so uh me uh christian pepper and and robert uh are from what i would describe as the southwest suburbs which have a sort of quality to them and you're from naperville which is one of these western suburbs that has a different set of quality than robert's from a western suburb oh wait where's he from from palatine it's west it's like northwest west it's a western suburb but okay when you're in chicago and you go directly west along the what bnsf train line yeah like Like, all those suburbs have a distinct quality from the ones that are off that line i would say um and and i think like those northwest and southwest suburbs have this sort of no man's land kind of quality and the western suburbs have a place placeness to them um, because of the connection to the city through like metro and stuff, oh. I guess and more history. Yeah, I can um, see that. Like Bolingbroke's kind of, I don't know, I don't know where you're from, but Bolingbroke's kind of blah. <laughs> like having, I don't know, not to is, call out a particular place. Is, I, I, I'm, okay, sorry. Um, well, I'm going on a tangent <laughs> here. It's something that always bothers me when, I mean, I'm not being bothered right now, but something that kind of I try to wrap my head around is. Is the idea of having a history, like, like I'm I'm in the history and theory track, <laughs> but the point is that what does it mean to have a history? I mean, I want something that pushes up against me when I try to do okay. something. Mm-hmm. It's pressure. It's yeah. it's like the having been acted upon. It's like a grounding acted with. Yeah. When you're in space, there's no history, and every action that you take is without context and when you when you're in a quote unquote, like a historical location and you say right. i want to make a coffee shop on this corner mm-hmm. then the, the world is telling you so many potential things about mm-hmm. what that means as like a new sentence in the book right. but in my hometown you build a coffee shop and there is nothing i mean there was not nothing there before but it's like the first sentence in a story right. and it it's not really received anything in fact it feels like an action in a void like mm. you're performing on a theater stage with no one watching right but then is that not like part of your identity or your heritage being from the suburbs like that, that's it's maybe not a super granular heritage it's like kind of a broader maybe shared experience across the u.s but it's still a relatively authentic experience even no it, i completely agree just cause... like scales of authenticity i guess yeah Growing up in Lockport, um, there was a certain version of Lockport that I grew up in that was pretty much mostly the same until I was maybe like 13 or so, in which case I-355 came through and then there was all this growth and development that happened in what was mostly like Greenfield. Um, And so right now Lockport is vastly different from me growing up and, and what I recognize it as. But I think the notion that you can sort of connect to that idea of expansion and, and history changing at a very rapid pace and as, as being something that is very suburban, I think can be part of it. I think it's, it's also kind of maybe not troubling, but interesting that we say we're from the suburbs, which is a larger region than Chicago itself. You know, like there, yeah. there's not one. And that's where this kind of neighborhood west suburb contention comes in, because there are suburbs that have more or less identity. It is a gradient. Where the further out you get, the so, you, like so you're saying in case of Chicago, there is the authentic suburb as well as the authentic Chicago. 
Maybe. Uh, right, well, like, yeah. I think the, like, real authentic suburbs of Chicago would be, like, Oak Park, which we consider, like, actually part of the city now. Yeah, but, like, Oak Park's pretty authentic. Something like yeah. Naperville is an extension of the train line, which has a history. And, and Christian's from Lockport. I'm from Lamont. And they're both kind of in the southwest canal. Very close so, to each other, yeah. Yeah. And, the, I mean, the, the canal was great, but then the train came through. And that was that was the worst thing to happen to the canal <laughs> cities until 355 came through. Um, so and, is so what I'm in case of cities like big cities like say for example like Chicago or, or if if we take an example from India as well I mean there are four cities that but the point is that is then the sense of place and its relation to identity is kind of mapped across the timeline of the city's development in that sense like can we make that conclusion that older the part of the city is more the chances that it is supposed to an authentic identity of the city. Yeah. I, I think mean, uh, a certain it's, identity. It's a little But yeah. the, the thing a, I'm getting yeah. at is when I say I'm from the suburbs, mm. it doesn't matter if I'm from the Chicago suburbs, the Madison suburbs, or like Palo Alto, like suburbs of the Bay Area, you know? Right. I, I like whatever, uh, you know. Instant uh, mayonnaise. It, it, yeah, it's, it's this sort of universal blend. You know, you're mm-hmm. like the target of the glut of media, ultimately, because you're in this the largest demographic zone in, in America. And I think that, that there's no particular place to the suburbs. The suburbs could be anywhere. Uh, it doesn't, and, and that, that kind of negates the idea of heritage and authenticity because, you know, Bill Gates made a, a computer in his garage. Well, that could have happened I mean, not there is, you know, Silicon Valley has a sort of quality about it, but that could have happened. His experience of the suburbs was probably very similar to experiences in the suburbs around the country, right? It's not rooted. It doesn't feel rooted to a place. Yeah, that kind of makes the idea of a specific relation to a location and a place. It kind of flattens the idea of location in the place, right? So Mm -hmm. garage or, yeah, that's interesting. So something that interesting that came up when uh, when I was uh, checking out SciArc in the program that I'm going to be starting in the fall uh, was there was in in the program there's there's a lot of amazing people from vastly extremely diverse backgrounds um, and I think I brought this up before but I don't think I brought it up on the podcast um, and then all these people in order to produce their projects were kind of mining their backgrounds and their his- and their experience and their history, like where they came from, their context as, as individuals, um, in order to produce, in order to use that as am- ammunition to, to produce a project. And for me, coming from... What? Hmm? Did you say something? No. Oh, okay. And so for me, coming from a place like the Chicago suburbs, I also... I almost want to make... A, a disturbing version of, of like idea of what my background in history is. Um, not not like lying in terms of disturbing, but like manipulating uh, that idea of experience and, and what my authentic background is in order to kind of play with the idea that you can use your background and your experience to produce. Yeah. I think that's the task of the suburbanite. Yeah. But it's also like something... Me- it's also like distinctly suburbanite, right? Like someone from Chicago proper who grew up there might not be able to pull that off in the same way that you can. Like it's actually 
in in a way like being identityless there is very much part of your identity right and i think i think this idea of lacking connection to any particular place or whatever can all play into that uh, and it's good to be aware of that i guess but um i always thought it, it's kind of interesting because i think there's there's a lot of fascinating things that might come out of that as opposed to trying to produce something that's authentically from a place. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, like I can think of a lot of art. You mentioned a serious man. You also have Tim Burton, who I think grew up in like Florida suburbs. And I think that a lot of American cinema and culture is indirectly a reflection of suburban life and banality. Right. This idea of banality is like being mined for horror in some cases. Well, like David Lynch, I would like to know. Yeah, he's from the suburbs. But yeah. isn't it isn't it like also uh, like the banality is rather recent experience in terms of the suburb. Like when they first made the suburbs, people were like fascinated about it. Well, yeah, right, and that was the celebration of like, 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 like when Ford is like the real like the, the suburbs that got rolled in Chicago are the ones with the authentic suburban experience, the authentic one, mm-hmm. and they're not even considered suburbs anymore. And right. you could say like maybe the seventies or maybe Levittown, like post-war suburbs. Right. Right. Uh, where you get the banal suburbs like really starting to spread and spread mm. meaninglessly. I mean, so initially that that notion of suburbs is really tied into the celebration of the car, uh, and you can you can look at like also, the six. I'm sorry, I'm, go ahead. Yeah, you know, you can look at like the '64 World's Fair and see this idea of progressivism, um, and like how the car ties into everything. And there's a whole exhibit in which you get into a Ford car and ride it around a building. Like and, and inside of a building, and it, it's kind of insane. <laughs> Literally, go there to drive a car around a building. That's you ride hilarious. it as it's like on a conveyor belt. The car utopia is the only utopia that actually happens. You know. Yeah, like, and and now we're struggling with... that it's not. It's not. It didn't actually turn out to be the utopia that we expected. Right. Right. But that re- but that's interesting because that goes back to your fascination. The question about fascination of America from the outside. Because the American dream really is marketed all around the world, I guess, at least in India, is, is like this, not, not the dream that, and as, as a person from India would say that have purchased into, like voluntarily, but it's there somehow, this idea of a car, this idea of an individual family, uh, this idea of having a kind of a green space somewhere, and it reflects in like, a contemporary architectural practice of how, because the, although it's suburb in the sense that it's away from the city, the the kind of construct of its architecture gets played into imaginaries across the world, right? Uh, which which problematizes the suburb in the first place, because then it goes beyond America in a sense. Right. I think I read somewhere that someone Look called the suburb like the most dangerous and most dangerous export of America or something. Which I thought was kind of hilarious. Even worse than McDonald's. Worse huh? than like drone bombs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we exhausted this. Yeah, we are. Uh, do you still have your donut pants on? My donut pants are. How do I say wilting? Yeah, well, I can, can actually see there's like a puddle of strange liquid. <laughs> That's that's kind well, of disgusting. We'd you should only clean know that, that they're authentic donuts if they were squishing. So we haven't been moving a lot, so hard to tell. Yeah, well, that uh, that liquid is is donut liquid. I can do some dolly work for you. Yeah, yeah, dolly work. That's, that's what that means. It's like yeah. the the sound effects that people make that 
are supposed to match what you're seeing, but aren't from what you're oh, seeing. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, we, about, so, so we were supposed to talk about your work as being horrific. So if you can oh. introduce your horrific version of your... Really? Yeah. Fantasy um, of fake encounter. Is that horrific? No. <laughs> yeah, you try it now. Wait, what? My work? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. You, have to, you have to say it as horror. Oh, well, my favorite kind of horror is actually all horror. Like, I like saying horrific things as if they're perfectly reasonable. Okay, we'll, we'll say it. Say well, my, talking about his research or mine. Hey, any don't care. So hey. there's an idea. Here's a, this really outdated idea in the world today that you have to maintain heritage art, artifacts and objects. And if you live in an era of social media and we've got cameras everywhere, why, why do we have to actually keep these worthless objects around if we can just, you know, scan them and put them on our desktops? You know, so we can 3D scan the objects. We can take that heritage, we can take a bunch of photos of it, you know. And we can train an algorithm to stitch those photos into 3D objects and we can put them on our desktops. Oh my And then we can just toss the original. It's it's gathering dust, literally, it's worthless. Yeah. Okay, okay, I got one, I got one. All right, I just realized my donuts are necklaces of human toes. Man, it's disgusting. So that's what they were. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> that's why they're leaking. That, that, <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, Chris, it's your turn. Uh, I don't think I can follow that up. That That is horrific. <laughs> Truly horrific. And on that note. <laughs> on that note. Yeah, my computer went to sleep, like, uh, I don't know, probably a good 40 minutes ago now. So we'll see. Uh, we, can, we can do this as a two-parter. Damn. We'll we, put it off somewhere in the middle. Yeah, we are at an hour and 10 minutes right now. So. Nice. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a really good one. All right, well, thanks. Um, it was such an authentic conversation. <laughs> it really was. Really was. was. It wasn't rehearsed in any way. None <laughs> we of never rehearsed. really rehearsed. It's so authentic. I just want to stress that. <laughs> we, we totally rehearsed the donut bit. Okay. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. All right, let's end there. I'm going to stop recording this. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Next, See you next time. <laughs>